And so uh, today we are in our part two of a four-part series called It's the End of the World as We Know It. And what church finished it out? I feel awesome. Uh, a little bit. It's like, I feel fine. I guess I feel all right. Uh, last week we talked about human progress, and we think because we have the knowledge of good and evil, we can solve our problems by ourselves. This whole series is talking about it is the end of the world. No matter where you go on social media or on Facebook or wherever you end up at, people are telling you the world is going to hell in a handbasket, does it not? It says the world is ending. And so last week we talked about kind of the very beginning, how the world is ending. Why do we have evil in the world? What's going on with our current situations? And we had to jump back clear to Genesis chapter three and talk about this time where we actually got the knowledge of good and evil. We looked at Adam and Eve. If you never read that story, please read it. You can catch up on there. But we kind of ended on the sobering note that because we have this knowledge of good and evil, it gives us the ability to see and spot the issues, but not the wisdom to fix it. Because we have the knowledge of good and evil, it gives us the ability to, to spot the problems, to spot the issues, but it doesn't give us the divine wisdom to fix it. If it did, things would already be fixed and we wouldn't have any issues in our world, right? That's kind of the way to think about it. But because of that, we kind of use this illustration of a rowboat, kind of like the one in the cartoons when you're, where you're sitting in and you're rowing and all of a sudden you kind of see a leak pop up. And so uh, the cartoon puts his finger in there to plug up the hole and you think, oh, it's good, it's fine. But all of a sudden another one starts popping up and start leaking. So you're like, oh, I've got another hand. I'll put one right there. And then three more pop up and you're realizing I don't have enough fingers to plug all the holes in my life to keep me afloat. And it feels like I'm sinking right now. Can anyone relate with that? Right? Especially in North Platte, we see it. It seems like the, the, the railroad is going through a big transition. The, the businesses are closing down. We don't know what's happening. And, and so let me tell you really quick, if you live in, this isn't just in North Platte. This is the rest of the United States. This is what's happening all over. And so we might feel like we're the only one in this boat, but we have to realize we're not. We as a humanity, we're in this rowboat together and there's not enough hands, not enough fingers to plug all the holes in our life to keep us afloat. In fact, we're sinking and we realize what are we going to do? We don't have the answers to all of our problems. But we ended on an encouraging note that even though we don't have an answer to our problem, God does. God has the answer. He's got the solution. In fact, he's got the divine wisdom to fix the issue. And because we know that God has the wisdom, the world can scream, the world is ending as we know it, but I'm gonna be okay. I feel fine. I'm gonna be all right. So if you missed on that sermon, all these sermons are recorded. You go on the rocknp.com, you can check them all out. I'm not gonna rehash all of that. But last week we talked about us versus good and evil. And today we're talking part two, us versus the apocalypse. Now, I kind of wish that we had the technology. Every time I say the apocalypse, you hear, dun, dun, dun. Don't do that, Jared. Don't find it. We're not gonna do that. But it's one of those things that when we talk about the apocalypse, or that kind of impending doom, like dark cloud, the world is ending and the earth is splitting in half. And we're gonna be talking about that. We're gonna be talking about the apocalypse. And for those of you who showed up uh, knowing that I was gonna be talking about the end times today, you're, and you're expecting a huge sermon on eschatology, um, you're gonna be highly disappointed. Because as I was studying, God revealed something amazing and I wanna share it with you this morning. And I pray it's gonna be an encouragement to you. 
But I've lived on this world for a very long time. I've gained a lot of wisdom. Please hear the sarcasm in my voice. But I've lived in this world for a full 28 years. I know. And I haven't fully experienced the world or come to the conclusion of people and their behavior. But I've learned this in kind of my short time here. I've, I've learned this about people. I've learned this about myself. Is that we as humans, we have deeply formed opinions that are strongly held. And for the most part, we believe them. We as humans, we form these, these big opinions about things. And we hold on to them as if that they were truth. And we hold on to them with a death grip. We don't let them go. And this could be things about things like, like, like global warming or, or war on terrorism or the rapid development of technology and politics. Most of us have deeply formed opinions on all of this. And I think it's safe to say that we also have deeply formed opinions on how the world is going to end. Everyone here, you have an opinion on what you think what happens during the apocalypse. In fact, when we talk about how the world is going to end and everyone's opinions, here are a few major ones that have came up and have passed. Few, these are deeply formed opinions that thousands, millions of people believed. Some of them, they emptied out their 401k to support these endeavors because the world was going to end. I wanna see if you guys remember some of these. Everyone remember Y2K? Yep, for those of you who were born like 2000 after, I don't know if they share this, but there was a time when it was going from 1999 to 2000. Everyone thought the world was going to end. People were freaking out. And do you know why Y2K was such a big deal? Do you guys, have you researched that? It's because in the computer world, their date digits only needed two digits because it was 90, 91, 92, 93, up to 99. But they suddenly realized we didn't create our computers to hold four digits. What's going to happen? So everyone was kind of looking at 1999 and the kind of impending doomsday clock, wondering what's going to happen. The, the whole the world is going to end. The internet's going to be broken and, and all this stuff is going to happen. And so people thought the world was going to end. People were emptying out their 401ks. They were stocking up on food. In fact, do you want to know how much revenue Y2K brought? $100 billion. That's with a B. A hundred billions of dollars because people went out and stocked up on food and dry products and all this stuff. And everyone else, like the shop retailers are like, yes, this is awesome for us. And the rest of the world was saying the world was going to end. What about the, the Mayan calendar? You guys remember that? You guys remember the Mayan calendar? It was this ancient calendar that if you translated it correctly, the calendar would end December 21st, 2012. December 21st, 2012. So everyone stared at the world and everyone thought it was gonna end from this old calendar they found and December 22nd rolled around and realized we're okay. But millions of people about, well, what about this name? Does this name ring familiar? Harold uh, Camping. Harold Camping, is that ringing a name with a few people? Harold Camping was this pastor that he took all the Old uh, Testament prophecies and added them together and came up with this date of May 21st, 2011. And millions of Christians, he's saying, this was the day that Jesus was coming back and the world's going to end. And millions of Christians bought into this idea and they emptied out their retirement funds and they supported this guy. And let me tell you what, May 22nd rolled around and you know what happened? Nothing happened. 
And in fact, the guy, he recanted his statement. He said he actually messed up on the math, and he meant October 21st, 2011. So again, millions of Christians were like, oh my goodness, now it's October 21st. What are we going to do? Nothing happened. In fact, if you did a deep dive on a study on this guy, you would find out that he wrote a book back in the 90s stating that in 94, the world was going to end. And so we have this, this, these opinions. People have such strong opinions of how the world is going to end. And sadly, a lot of people believe in these opinions. But let me give you a pastor, some pastor advice. Can I give you some pastor advice with this? If anyone says, I know when the world is going to end, run away. Don't listen to that guy. Even if he's a pastor, even if you come on Sunday and I, Pastor Vaughn says, I know when the world is going to end. I had the heavens open up and I know the date and the time you need to get away from this church. It's not a good place to be. You can't listen to anyone that says that. Do not support them. Do not give them your money. Do not buy their snot rags thinking it's going to save you during the time. Like, do not do that. It's not real. And in fact, I can say that very strongly like that because Matthew 24, 36 says, however, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even angels or heaven or the son himself, only the father knows. Listen, you don't have to have a degree in Greek and Hebrew to understand who knows the end of the world because scripture is very clear about it. It says, no one knows. No human can possibly know when the end of the world is going to happen. And in fact, it's such a secret, not even the angels or Jesus himself knows. Only God does. So I'm telling you this morning, take a breath. Gonna be okay. You heard a date out there, not gonna happen. In fact, I think what God is probably doing, he's probably waiting for some guy not to pick a date to actually make it happen. I don't know. Seems like every day, everyone's like, the end of the world's today. And God's like, oh, I just got to wait till the next day. I don't know. But I can tell you when someone says, I know the end of the world, don't believe them. It's not real. So people take a breath. You can even know how to take this, how the world is going to, there are some pretty interesting theories out there, some actually some scholarly ones that think, hey, I know when, how the world's going to end. And I kind of looked them up because I'm wondering, like, we, we've seen the Doomsday movies, right? Have you guys seen the Doomsday movies, the big tidal wave, uh, New York freezing over, um, you know, uh, the, the great volcano underneath Yellowstone erupts and it blows up the whole world? Or have you guys seen the show Doomsday Preppers? And here, I love that show. Not because I'm a prepper, I'm not a prepper. But I'm like, how, can, how crazy can people get? That's, that's, that's what I wanna see. How crazy can these people get? And so these are people that spend years just prepping and prepping and prepping and prepping. And let me tell you, if you're a Christian this morning, you don't need to prep for the end of the world besides of knowing Jesus. Because you're gonna be all right. It's gonna be okay. But I wanna know, what does the world think how the world is gonna end? And here's some top ones that I saw. Um, there's a lot of scientists that believe that the highest one is that we're gonna have a cosmic collision, uh, collision with asteroids. Have you guys seen that movie Armageddon? Come on, you got the song in your head. You're playing it. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. I, I would rather be the cool astronaut on the asteroid trying to blow it up. I, I, I wanna try that. 
But I don't think the world's going to end with a, a cosmic collision. So, but, but a lot of scientists believe that. Another one, uh, a lot of scholarly people think it's going to be climate change, whether you believe it or not. Uh, we can all agree that the landscape in our world is changing, but people think that in just decades, they did their math, just decades, um, we can destroy our entire planet by the way we're treating it. Um, another one, and this is maybe a, a very realistic one, uh, is nuclear war. A lot of people think we're just going to blow ourselves up. I mean, you look at the tension with uh, Russia, China, and, and Korea, and everyone's trying to disarm their nuclear programs except for the U.S. and other big dogs of the world. Like, it, it's an interesting thing, but people, just one press of a button, <laughs> whole world blows up. That might be scaring some of us. Uh, a lot of people think the pandemic uh, can come back. Like, uh, people think, like, the Spanish flu, which actually killed more people than World War I. People think, like, there's going to be a, a pandemic that happens, just wipes us all out. Another one is biowarfare or engineered disease. We see that happening in wars today. Um, and the newest one that I find most interesting I was talking to my wife. I'm like, man, I feel like I'm in the Terminator movie. But I'm like, I, I wanted to know what people were saying about this. But people think that at one point in time, that artificial intelligence will actually outsmart themselves and humans will become a subspecies. And so I'm like, man, is this like, is this like a real deal? I'm like, it sounds kind of sci-fi to me. But I did a deep dive in like brainiacs of the technology world, like Apple and Bill Gates and Elon Musk. They all, they all put a big warning on the artificial intelligence industry saying, Watch how you program these things because they're, you, how many guys know what AI is? Because it seems like it's kind of going around a lot, a lot of computer people, younger people, something like that. AI is this technology that learns from experience and they learn from themselves. And so there's a point in time where artificial intelligence can at one point be smarter than humans because they can start thinking by themselves. So I'm like, I don't know if like we need to watch the Terminator movies and figure out how that I'll be back and like do all that type of stuff. Like, do we need to get ready for that? I have no idea, but it's a very real deal. People think AI can, can, can take over. And so the question is this, is what do we do about all this? What do we do about the end of the world? What, what do we do? How do we handle this? And so if you want to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. And if you don't have a Bible, they're in your worship guide notes as you fill in the blanks or on the screens behind me. Um, but I wanna show you a piece of scripture, uh, what Jesus says about the end of the world. Because I think as Christians, we need to come to this place. We know what the world says and sadly caused a lot of stress and anxiety, but we have to come to a place of what does Jesus say? Because really Jesus says a lot of things about most things including the end of the world. And so, uh, because I knew the question was what we have to do about this, how am I supposed to react when the world is telling me the world is ending? I just wanna show you what Jesus says about the end of the world. And it's kind of a, a lengthy uh, verse, uh, uh, paragraph. I'm gonna kind of break it down for you as we read it. Uh, but this is Jesus talking to disciples. And he says this, as Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciples point out to him the various temple buildings. They're in Israel and they're kind of uh, at the big temple and they're walking, going for a walk and he's saying all this stuff. And verse two, he says, but he responded, he says, do you see all these buildings? Talking about the temple. Do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth. They will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. So he's talking about the end times. He's talking about the end times. And in fact, in this one, he's actually talking uh, something that's actually very close to the end times just for Israel in itself. And this was a huge statement because the Jewish temple was considered one of the ancient world, kind of ancient wonders of the world. It was this huge, magnificent. If you guys ever go to Israel with me, you get to really kind of see it in its glory, kind of see how big it was. It's, it's an incredible deal. And Jesus saying, even this is gonna be demolished. 
Like it's gonna be in ruins. And to the Jews, this was huge. They're like, what? Like we spent hundreds of years building this thing and you're telling us it's gonna, yeah. Jesus is like, yeah, it's, it's, it's gonna be demolished. It's gonna be demolished. And, and, and if you kind of fast forward just a little bit, 70 AD, the Romans came in and they demolished the entire temple. They demolished everything. And so Jesus continues in verse three, he says later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives with his disciples, came to him in private and said, tell us then when all of this will happen. What sign will your signal, sorry, what sign will your sig- signal your return and the end of the world? So they're asking like, when's the world gonna end? When's the world gonna end? And Jesus answers this and he says this, verse four, don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many and you'll hear, hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Underline that, don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. So really quick, church, more pastor advice. If you hear someone saying, I'm Jesus, I'm the coming Messiah, run. Don't listen to them. And this sounds silly here in the US because we don't have a lot of people that do that. But if you go to third world countries, there are people that claim that they are the Messiah. They claim that they're Jesus. In fact, in Africa right now, there's a mega church going on and this guy, he, he, he's selling like little tokens with his face on it and he's making millions and millions of dollars and it's sad because he's, people think that he is Jesus. He is Jesus. And so the Lord is telling us, that's gonna start happening. People are gonna start saying that they're me and it's, it's not real. And so he's saying this, when this comes down to the end times, he says, when the end times hits, you will know. In fact, when Jesus comes back, you will know. There's not gonna be any questioning of who Jesus is. It's kind of like when you hear a dog bark, you're not gonna wonder, was that a cat meowing? Like, no, you know it's Jesus. You will know. Because a lot of times we think of the end times and we're wondering, because the, the question of the rapture and all that stuff comes up, they're wondering like, what, what do we do? And it's like, you'll know. You'll know it's Jesus. You know when the time will get near. This is what it talks about in, the, in this whole entire thing. In verse seven, he gives more highlights. He says, the nations will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom. We see this right now. There'll be famines and earthquakes. Did you guys know like Nebraska's notorious for earthquakes? Like I didn't know that until I moved here and I realized the Santa Hills have earthquakes like every single day. Kind of scares me just a little bit, but I haven't, has anyone felt them before? Okay, all right. Neither have I, so I was just wondering. Just throw that out there. Don't freak out, it's gonna be okay. But verse eight says, but all of this will only be the first of birth pains with more to come. And so if you just look at our history and even present times, this has already been happening. In fact, if you've been in church for the most part of your life and people from the older generations, you've probably heard the end is near. Jesus is coming. And so they've actually been proclaiming Jesus has been coming for a long, long, long time. But we can tell it's getting closer with what Matthew chapter 24 said. And so Jesus says, all this is gonna happen, but wait, there's more. In verse nine, then you'll be arrested, persecuted, and killed. Well, that's encouraging, Jesus, thank you. It says, you will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And this is not because like we're meeting in a church, but he's saying this is gonna happen because of your love for me because of your love for one another. And this is why church, I get up during worship like this morning, because I don't want us to take this time with what we have right now for granted. Because if you just fly thousands of miles in any direction, Christians are dying every single day just for doing this. And so we read this and like, oh, that's not gonna happen for a long time. Newsflash, 
just go anywhere else besides here in the U.S., Christians are dying for their faith every single day. And that's why we're so adamant as the Rock Church, like, hey, don't just come here and check this off because there's gonna be a point in time where we can't do this. In fact, it might cost you your life. And, and Jesus is saying, this is gonna happen. And because of that, verse 10, it says, and many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. People thought that your sisters and brothers in Christ, they're gonna like, huh, I'm gonna lose my life, not worth it to me anymore. I'll turn you in. Sin will be rampant everywhere and their love of many will grow cold. Again, it's about love. We're gonna lose the sight of God's love. But verse 13, it says, but those who endure, everyone say endure. But those who endure to the end will be saved and the good news about the kingdom will be preached through the whole world so that all nations will hear it and the end will come. Jump to verse 29. And he says this, immediately after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Is that metaphorically or like literally? I, yes, to both. I, I, there's no clarity. It could physically or metaphorically happen. But verse 30 says, then at last, the son of man is coming and will appear in the heavens and there will be a deep mourning of all the people of the earth. Why? And this is kind of getting the nitty gritty here. People will realize when they see the son of God, Jesus, like, like I said before, you will know it's Jesus. There'll be no questioning. You won't wonder if it's a hologram or what you will know. Everyone, whether you believe him or not, you will come to a point and you will see him like, I miss what life was all about this entire time. And it's just people will start mourning and have anguish. Why? Because they'll realize they missed it. They thought life was supposed to be about this, but it was actually about this. And everyone will come to a realization of, yes, I got it, or I missed it. And they'll be they will realize that they're wrong the entire time about what life was truly about. He carries on and says, they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with the power and great glory. Again, you will know it's Jesus and he will send out his angels with a mighty blast of a trumpet and he will gather his chosen ones from all over the world from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. So what is Jesus saying? Because right here, it's a lot of stuff. A lot. In fact, we can be doing a whole sermon series on this, and maybe some of you are hoping that we do, and frankly, I'm, I'm not going to do a sermon series on this, because this is where it gets confusing. Because we read this, and we're like, so what do we do about that, Pastor Vaughn? Well, from this scripture, this is where we get terms like tribulation, and not just tribulation, but pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, and post-tribulation. We get words like millennialism, not like, like you know, 30-year-olds living in their mom's basement, not working, not that. But it's just talking about like God, the millennial reign and a thousand years, like what, what, what does this, what does this happen? And what, what, is, what happens with this church is Christians try to come together and they develop a timeline of saying, oh, this is when the rapture will happen and this is the judgment and this is the thousand year reign. This is when Satan's released. This is where you get the, the microchip or the tattoo on your forehead of 666 and all this, all this stuff. And, 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 and this is the, the, the metaphor of, of what happens here versus there. Like, are we actually getting a country to reign or are we, are we owning our own planet? Like, like what's happening? And then all of a sudden, another Christian scholar comes up and says, no, 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 it's not that. In fact, everything's symbolic. So everything looks like this. And then as Christians, we're like, 
What? And we're left with our heads like scratching and, and we don't know what's gonna, gonna happen. And so when what happens to us is we get so focused on the how. And last week I mentioned that we've been in Revelation today. And again, some of you might be excited. We're like, yes, we're finally getting eschatology teaching. You're not this morning. Because after you walk out of this, you might be even more just confused. And so the Lord says, you gotta stop focusing on the how. Stop focusing on how, why? Because there are so many hows when it comes to how the world is going to end. And each one really has their credible source, has their credible source that all that believers in this world and the believers in this world, they get so confused. So I guess here's the first point in your notes is when it comes to the end of the world, don't focus on how, focus on the who and why. Don't focus on the how, Focus on the who and why. Because if Jesus wanted us to clearly understand the end of the world, we would be able to read scripture and be like, I got no questions. I see how it works. And I have learned as being a pastor just for a short little time is where Jesus is unclear about certain things, we as humans have a horrible habit of trying to make clear statements from them. And when you do that, you're putting words in Jesus' mouth. And as I read this, it's not so clear. And so it's okay to study eschatology. I've done a lot of studies on eschatology, and they're fascinating, really. But you can years studying those things. But for the sake of today and for the sake of the message, don't focus on the how, focus on the who and why. Because Jesus didn't tell us exactly how. In fact, Jesus himself doesn't really know when it's all gonna happen. Only God does. But he says this, he says, but don't be surprised when you see wars and famines and earthquakes and people being more hostile than usual towards one another when we lose our love. Don't be surprised about all that stuff. Jesus was clear on the signs of things to come. In fact, we call that as Christians, signs of the times. But he says, I can at least give you some forewarning. This is going to be taking place. So rather than focusing on the the how, focus on the who and why, because we can't fully know what the future holds. We can't fully know what the future holds, but we can fully know who holds the future. That one more time. We can't fully know what the future holds, but we can fully know who holds the future. Church, I have done studies on the end of the world, and if I can be honest, I don't know when the world's gonna end. I would love to know, but I don't. I don't know if it's gonna be in my lifetime or a few generations from now, I I, I don't know. But I can tell you that you can read scripture with the signs of what Jesus says, says watch out for these things, they're happening. They've been happening. And so we have to come to a place, let's just, let's just get past of how does it all end. In fact, I want to show you how to focus on the who and the why. If you want to turn to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22. Revelation is the very last book of the Bible. Last week, we looked at the very uh, front of the Bible. I think it's only appropriate. We look at the very back of the Bible. But it's this book that, uh, it's actually a letter written by John on the island of Patmos. John uh, was a very close disciple of Jesus Christ, and he was exiled because of his faith. And so he's about 96, people think about 96, 98 during this time, lived a very old 
uh, a very long life, and he's uh, an old guy on this island waiting for his death. And so he gets this revelation from Jesus, uh, from God, about uh, the end times, about, about how the world is going to end. And in this book, you can read this. You can read it at face value. You can read it as symbolism. You can read it as metaphorical. You can read it even literal if you want to. And there will be a Christian theologian out there saying, yes, you are correct in every one of those. And I've read the book of Revelation and I have actually came to this conclusion when I read this. And this is the second point in your notes. And it's this, that at the end in chapter 22, the end of the world hinges on a choice. The end of the world hinges on a choice and Jesus invites us to choose him. Vaughn, is it really that simple? Yes. You see, that at the really end of the day, this is kind of where we take a right hook right here. It's not about the end of the world. It really isn't. But it's about the end of your world. It's not about the end of the physical world. It's about the end of your life. And this is where this message can just get a little, little dark. And we're gonna end encouraging here pretty quick. But I need you to tune in, tune in here, church. The end of the world, the end of your world hinges on a choice. And Jesus invites us to choose him. That at some point, your life and my life will end. Amen, I'll see you next Sunday. Thanks for being encouraged, right? But it's the fact that everyone here has a 100% chance that we're gonna die. And death is all around us, whether you like talking about it or not, it's going to happen. And when our lives end, we will fully know what happens after this life. Because right now you have the freedom, God gives you the freedom, whether it's right or wrong, we will find out. But right now you have the freedom in this life to choose what happens after you die. Some of us, you might believe that you turn into a banana after you die. And if that's your deal, then okay, it's your deal, but you're gonna find out after you die. Some of us, you think you might be another person and come back if that's your, that is your right to believe that. But you're gonna find out if you're right or wrong after you die. Some of you might believe that after, after you die, nothing's going to happen. It's like a light switch. It just turns off. If you want to believe that, that is your right to believe that, but you're going to find out after you die. And my job as your pastor is to let you know what we believe as Christians when it comes to life after this life. And we believe that life continues on after we die here. Life continues on and in an in a, in internal facet. And that what you do here really matters. The choices you make really matters. And right here in Revelation 22, Jesus is saying, I can show you what life after this life is gonna be all about. Here's what I love about Jesus. He doesn't give you a lot about the end of the world, but he gives you a lot about what heaven looks like. And I just, I don't wanna talk about the end of the world today because when I read scripture, Jesus is saying, if I wanted you to know, God would have told me to tell you and he didn't. 
But I can tell you what happens after this life. And so we pick up and John is writing this letter and he's having this grand vision. And he's having this vision of heaven. And I just wanna read this to you and you can take it at whatever value you want. If you wanna throw it away afterwards, that's your right to do so. But I wanna let you know what we believe what heaven's gonna look like after this life. This is Jesus. This is John writing this. And he says this, then the angel showed me a river with the water of life. Is that a real river? Is it metaphorical or literal? It's yes to all that. But it's clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb. Now, ever before this, Jesus and God have kind of been seen separate. But when we get to heaven, we see that God and Jesus are actually together. We see the throne of God and the lamb. Verse two, it flowed down the center of the main street. There's a main street in heaven, that's kind of cool. On each side of the river grew a tree of life. We saw that somewhere, where, where do we see another tree? Genesis chapter three. Bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. And I love about this because if you remember last week, we talked about the Garden of Eden, the section of scripture where we see, we see a parallel of heaven and what happened in the garden. In the garden, there was a tree of knowledge of good and evil, but here in heaven, there's a tree of life. In the garden, once they ate the fruit, humanity fell in heaven, everyone is healed. It, it's, it's a reversal. And verse three says, no longer will there be a curse upon anything. Believe it or not, we are in a curse right now because they ate the fruit and sin entered the world and things are not perfect. And God is saying, when you get to my place, there's not gonna be any disease. There's not gonna be any sickness. There's not gonna be any hatred. There's not gonna be any murder. There's not gonna be any problems, no starvation or famine. This is what heaven looks like. And that curse is lifted when we get to heaven. I, this is kind of cheesy, but I, I think of it this way. I grew up in the time where we had these books um, called Chronicles of Narnia. Have you guys seen that, Chronicles of Narnia? You guys read those books? There's a movie that came out. You can watch the movie, but read the book. The book's really good. But there's this, there's this one book that's called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And this world, the kingdom of Narnia is in this curse. And because of this curse, everything's frozen. It's just cold. It's just ugh. But then when the king comes back, the lion Aslan, when the king comes back, and everything is restored, we see everything kind of thaw out. And once was frozen and bitter is now full of green and life. I'm telling you right now, you think you might have it good here? Well, we haven't known anything else. Wait till you get to heaven and the curse is lifted. This is what heaven's all about. It says, for the throne of God and the lamb will be there and his servants will worship him. Then they will see his face and they will, and his name will be written on their foreheads. Like we finally get to know God. Like right now, you, we think we know God, but in heaven, you will know God. You can see his face here on this earth. Even Moses, he had to put a bag over his head because he saw just a passing kind of a, uh, kind of the, 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 the after effects of God. And he was blind. His face was just shiny. They couldn't even handle it. But now we get to see God and we get to worship him. 
which means we get to be together with them. All of now in the Old Testament, they had to build a tabernacle in order to worship God. New Testament, we were the new temple. And then finally in heaven, when we're all there, we don't need, we're just there. We get to worship God, seeing Jesus face to face. He goes on and says, the angel said to me, everything you have heard and seen is trustworthy and true. The Lord God who inspires his prophets has sent his angel to tell his servants will happen soon. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed are those who obey the words of the prophecy written in this book. He said, heed these words, read them, know them. Look, I'm coming soon. Bring in my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. I am the Alpha and the Omega. Those are the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet. God says, God is saying, I am everything. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus saying, I am everything. In Exodus 3, we see when Moses asking, he said, hey, who do I tell people who you are? Like, like what's your name? He said, my name's I am. Cool, how do I tell them that? <laughs> but he's simply saying, he's like, I am God. I am everything. And when you get to heaven, you can fully comprehend everything about that. Here we can't, we get an idea, but in heaven is saying, you will know God. You will actually know him. Verse 14 says, blessed are those who wash their robes. They'll be permitted to enter the gates of the city and eat the fruit from the tree of life. Washing their robes is talking about people who have trusted God with their life and they're blessed and they're being washed clean. And because they trusted Jesus with their life, they're allowed to enter heaven and take part of the tree of life. But this is where most pastors stop preaching because that sounds really good. Sounds awesome. But John's pen did not stop there. He kept writing. In fact, the verses I just read are very famous to use in funerals. I've, I've used them. But we stop there. We put a period and we don't go to the next verse. Verse 15, because verse 15 gets a little dark and it brings a lot of question. And this is kind of the biggest point of my message this morning. And I want you guys to heed this right here. Verse 15 talks about this, about those who didn't make it into heaven. What happens to them? He says this, verse 15, he says, outside the city are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexual immoral, the murderers, the idol worshipers, and all who love to live a lie. That sounds really harsh. And it is, it is harsh. But you need to know at the end of your world, there's a choice to make. And in this verse that we just read, really shows us the result of making a choice. Because remember, the end of their world hinges on a choice and Jesus invites us to choose him. Not choosing Jesus is making a choice to live without Jesus. And that is a choice. It's actually your freedom to make that choice. But right here, it shows us what happens. And you need to know, church, you need to know that it's not your behavior that makes the choice for you. It is not your behavior that makes your choice for you. Let me say that one more time. It is not your behavior that makes your choice for you because there are Christians and people in heaven right now that have done all these things. There are people in heaven that were sexually immoral. There are people in heaven that have murdered. There are people in heaven that didn't have their worship sorted out and that they were a fraud. 
There are people in heaven that were these things. You may be wondering, well, if they did all these bad things, then how did they get to heaven? How did they get to heaven? And it's because heaven's standard is not based on what you did. Heaven's standard is not even based on your good intentions. Heaven's standard is, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? That is heaven's standard. And please, you need to hear me. Good intentions are not enough. I had a pastor tell me that there's a lot of people in hell with good intentions. And it's harsh. And it doesn't seem fair. But you need to know that just because you had good intentions doesn't mean it's going to be okay. You can be intentional, but you can be intentionally wrong. I saw this illustrated to me two years ago, I went to Israel. Uh, we went on the Sea of Galilee. It was, it was gonna be the highlight of the trip. Um, and so I, my wife and I were really looking forward to this. You get to sail in a boat that was kind of created from Jesus's time and sail the kind of along the shores where Jesus did his ministry and hung out with his friends and performed some miracles. It's a very beautiful place, beautiful place. And so when we got off the boat, our, our uh, guy who was leading us says, hey, don't dilly-dally too much in the, the gift shop because the boat has to leave at this time. And so don't get caught up with that stuff. Let's just, just get to the boat. And so my first thought was like, huh, well, I'm one of the pastors here. Is the boat really gonna leave me? But my wife said, no, we gotta, we gotta get to the boat. Let's, let, let's go to the boat. He said, the boat's gonna leave at this time. It's gonna leave at that time. I'm like, okay, fine. And so I'm like, oh, we're gonna miss the gift shop, but there's multiple gift shops. I wasn't worried. We get there, get on the boat, and we have a blast. It was a beautiful ride. The sea was calm. Uh, we had a time of worship. It was very powerful. Uh, my friend Mariso uh, preached on the boat, and it was, it was a really, really good time. It was one of my favorite memories that I have today. Gorgeous time. And then we get back to the dock, and I see that there's a man standing on the dock. And it hit me, I'm like, Oh, he missed it. That guy's part of my group. And our leader came beside me. He says, Vaughn, the good lesson learned. If it says it's going to leave at this time, it's going to leave at this time. And it doesn't matter if you think you're going to make it. It doesn't matter if you have good intentions. That guy, he had every intention on being on the boat. Every intention on being on the boat but his intentions were not enough. He spent too much time in the gift shop and he missed out one of the most incredible experiences of our trip in Israel. Now, some of us are thinking that boat should have waited. Vaughn, you should have done your job and counted the number. You should have stuck out from, you should have done. The boat had to leave at this time. I'm not in charge of the boat when it leaves. The captain is, and if the captain says it's going to go, it's going to go. Church, there's gonna be a time in our life where our world is going to end. And I don't want you to miss the boat. I don't want you to be stuck on the dock wondering, is the boat coming back? And to miss out one of the most incredible eternal life experiences you could ever have. Because at the end of your world, it hinges on a choice. And Jesus invites us to choose him.
Well, Vaughn, we didn't get the invite. Look at Jesus' invite in verse 17. You cannot leave this place knowing. Jesus said, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone hear us say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty, let anyone who desires to drink freely from the water of life, he who is faithful witness to all these things say, yes, I am coming soon. Jesus invites you to have a life of everlasting with him. But the question is, do you have that relationship? Because it's not about the end of the world, it's about the end of your world. It's not about how, guess what? You can figure out all the hows and still miss the boat. Because it's not about the how, it's about the who and the why. It's about a guy named Jesus that died on the cross because he wants a personal relationship with you. And that is why we can stand, that's why I can stand here and say, the world is ending as I know it, but I feel fine. 